The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4 and in verse 23 to introduce our thoughts. I'd like to consider this evening and probably in a few messages to come, following your heart, following your heart. And that is a phrase and a perspective that has been greatly misunderstood and misapplied in Christianity today and and even even beyond Christianity and if you have nothing better to do and you probably do but if you have nothing better to do you should get on Google sometime and just type in following your heart and look at all the garbage <laughs> that is right up at the top of the search list and uh, we want to look at this from a biblical perspective and we know and we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse Nine, that the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked, and we can't trust our heart. But sometimes I think we see people, as we often do, we overreact and we see people presenting things in a very unbiblical way, and then we just say definitively, well, don't follow your heart. Well, that's a good statement to make uh, with certain qualifications. Yeah. Uh, God guides us in our heart and in our spirit, okay? When we've been born again by the Spirit of God, you don't blindly follow your heart. You follow your heart being tested and tried by God's Word and by godly counselors and other means of testing that that God has given us. You don't blindly follow your heart, okay? And that's a statement that we need to make sure we understand. However, we also don't make the statement that we don't follow our heart. No, God does guide us in our heart. He guides us in our spirit. We just have to know the right way to discern that and to follow that. So in Proverbs chapter 4 and in verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Of life, And I believe what we're going to see is that there is no action that we undertake that exhibits itself in an external way or really anything in our life that does not stem from the heart. Okay? And we'll come back to this verse a little bit later as well, hopefully. In Proverbs chapter 16 and in verse 1, the preparations of the heart in man... And the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Okay? The preparations of the heart is from the Lord. God does guide your heart. But you have to, again, test and discern your burdens of your heart and your desires of your heart through a filter and through a litmus test. And that is primarily the Word of God. Okay? Amen. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about uh, our cardiac heart that pumps blood all throughout our body. That is primarily speaking of 
our innermost seat of affection, passion, and understanding. Okay, your innermost seat of affection. And we first of all need to understand that if we blindly follow our hearts, then our hearts, as we know, let's go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 17 and in verse 9, we know that our hearts in our nature cannot be trusted, okay? Our hearts cannot be trusted. In Jeremiah chapter 17, he's actually beginning here a few verses before then in verse 5, cursed be the man that trusteth in man. He's saying, okay, don't trust man. He goes on to say in verse 7, but trust God. If you trust man, you're going to be like a heath, verse, a heath, verse 6, in the desert that shall not see when good cometh. But you need to trust God. And if you trust God, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water. You'll be flourishing. So first of all, don't trust man. And then second of all, in verse 9, don't trust your heart. Don't trust your natural heart. Okay? That's the qualification we want to make. Don't trust your natural heart. Because the natural heart, it doesn't say that in there, but we're going to qualify that. The natural heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the right, <clears throat> excuse me, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The heart is Deceitful above all things. Now that's some big language, isn't it? There's a lot of deceitful things here in this world, isn't there? There's a lot of things that are deceitful that can, and that's the root word of deception, right? There's a lot of things that can be very deceptive to deceive and tempt you here in this world. And the heart is deceitful above all things. It's at the very top of the list. And desperately wicked. Who can know it. You can't trust it, right? You can't trust your natural heart. Why? Because it's deceitful. Amen. It will deceive you. And as we talk about following our heart, we, we know all the trouble that that can get you into because that's the whole reason that man was plunged into sin, right? What happened in the Garden of Eden? What happened in the Garden of Eden? You had Satan. And, and I'll tell you, if, if, he, if Satan could be that effective to tempt Adam when he was a perfect man, perfectly made in God's image, and he didn't even have a sin nature at that time for him to even uh, entice. He didn't even have that sin nature at that time. Right. But Adam followed his heart, if you will, right? And where did that, where'd we end up? Death, both for him and everybody else, right? The whole reason we're in the mess that, that we're in, the whole reason that Jesus had to come to this world and die is why? Because Adam followed his heart, right? And just like Adam, if you follow your heart without filtering it through the Word of God, you're going to end up in the same destination as him, which is what? Sin. Sin, right? Let's go to um, 1 John chapter 2. Beginning in verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. You see, those are the things that your natural heart that is 
deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What does your heart gravitate to? Right, right. It gravitates toward the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's where your heart naturally goes to. And again, if you follow your heart solely, the end result of that will be sin. Okay? The end result of that will be sin. It says in Romans chapter 8, uh, this speaks of the mind, but um, I believe the mind and the heart are very intricately connected. Just like how it says in Scripture that there's a clear distinction between soul and spirit. Okay? There's a clear distinction, but, but Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He's the one who has to divide them asunder. Right. <laughs> we can't tell the difference between them. Uh, so there's a distinct difference between your soul and your spirit, but they're so intricately connected we can't even tell the difference really. And I'd say that we can say the same thing about your mind and your heart to a large degree. They're, they're, they're different. They're distinct. But they're so intricately connected that many times it's speaking of the same type of thing. So in Romans chapter 8, it says, in beginning in verse 5, For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded, and if you'll just let me use this language, I don't intend to uh, adjust anything that the KJV says, but for our discussion this evening, if you'll let me use this language, to be carnally hearted is death, but to be spiritually hearted is life and peace, because the carnal heart is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? Your natural disposition, and that's what we need to understand. The baseline natural disposition of your heart before regeneration is to do the exact opposite. Okay? That's right. Enmity means an enemy. Your, the natural disposition of your heart is to do the exact opposite of what God commands you to do, you see? And that's why you can't trust it. Because what is your heart going to lead you to? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which are the things of the world. And I'll tell you, Satan knows our hearts better than anybody. He knows the exact pressure points and the exact right temptations to entice you with the lust of the eyes. To entice your heart and to... Feed that desire that we still have in our nature to be opposed from God. Okay? Now, we're going to make our way to the new heart that God gives us, and hopefully we'll return to Romans chapter 7, where we see the conflict between the new heart that God has given us, but yet we still have the remains, the remnants of that natural heart that we have to deal with on a day-in, day-out basis, right? But we have to be reminded of the fact that in our nature, as he says in verse, uh, in chapter 7, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Okay? Our mind is naturally at enmity with God. And we apply this in a, in a spiritual uh, salvation context. It's very obvious when you get total depravity right, when you get the wickedness and uh, deadness of man's heart right. Well, any invitation for a man to have a desire to choose God prior to him being born again first 
can't make sense, right. can it? Why? Because your natural heart is the exact enemy of God. Yeah. Then your natural heart is naturally going to do the exact opposite of what God commands you to do. Does God can you, command you to believe? Yeah, he does. He commanded all men everywhere to repent. But what is the natural disposition of the natural wicked heart? To do the opposite, right? right? Which is, the fool has said, in his heart, there is no God, right? Why? Because his heart is at enmity with the things of God. So it doesn't matter how well you present the Bible. It doesn't matter how well you present the gospel. When a man is dead, especially when his heart is wicked, he has no desire for the things of God. Therefore, he has to be given a new heart, right? Yeah. He has to be born again. He has to be given a new heart before he can understand or believe or perceive anything of the kingdom of God. So, um, let's look at Matthew chapter 15. And we really need to understand that Almost every single external action that we perform, whether it's positive or negative, every single one of those external actions stems from the condition of our heart. Okay? Matthew chapter 15, verse 17. Do not ye yet understand, excuse me, that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out at the draught. But these things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now, this is, could easily be, all of these uh, descriptions of, of these sins right here could easily be in Galatians chapter 5, where it's describing the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Right. Okay? This, this is what naturally comes out of the natural wicked heart ap apart from and before the new birth. What does naturally come out of, of man's wicked heart? Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. You see, you have to first make the heart good. And that's why he says, by your fruits, you shall know them. Right? Because the external actions exhibit the condition of the heart. He says this, uh, clarifies it a little bit more in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. For a, good tree bringeth, <clears throat> for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, neither of a bramble bush Gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, obviously, every single action that we undertake, even as born-again children of God, is not going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that there's no possibility of us sinning or bringing forth the 
isolated random fruit, but the totality of the tree is that it's a good tree, right? There, there's always going to be, it doesn't matter how productive the uh, good apple tree is, there's always going to be a couple bad apples in the overall good harvest, you see? So we're not perfect, we're not sinless. If any man says he has no sin, he even says the love of the Father's not in him, okay? But the overall disposition of that tree is going to be to bring forth good fruit. And what is that a condition of? What's an evidence? What's that an evidence of? The condition of the heart, right? Especially our speech. Notice that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. See? Our speech reflects the condition of our heart. Particularly. <clears throat> so it's out of the condition of our heart, which by the way, that also tells you, <laughs> that also tells you why um, if a man has to confess Christ, he's in an unsaved position, but now he has to confess Christ to go to heaven. Okay, well, what's the only thing that he can bring out of his mouth to confess Christ right. before he's born again? What's the only thing down in there? Enmity with God, right? right. That's why he says that if you confess Christ, what is that evidence of? If you believe in the Lord. He that believeth is born of God, right? If you confess Christ, that is evidence that you're already born again. Why? Because the only way that that could come out in external fruit from the mouth is if that is the condition of your heart, right? So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So obviously we can see that man's got a heart problem, right? He's got a heart problem. And the only way that he's going to be fixed is if he gets a new heart, okay? Right. But before we get there, let's go to... Um, Proverbs 28 and verse 26. And I think this is a very good summary of what we're trying to consider in regards to following your heart. Proverbs chapter 28 and in verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely shall be delivered. Okay. Now, who wrote this? This is Solomon. He was specially, miraculously gifted with the greatest wisdom uh, that this world had ever seen, certainly apart from Jesus Christ. And what's amazing about this is he had all of this wisdom that was just flowing out of him uh, through the Holy Spirit. But yet at the same time, there came a time later in his life where he didn't even heed his own words. Right. Okay? He tells particularly... Think about the strange woman. He deals with that very in depth in Proverbs chapter 6. And he had seen many people enticed by the strange woman, which by the way, Satan is going to use the strange woman. And there's many men that have fallen by not controlling the thoughts of their heart and being enticed by a woman and then leading to their, look at the man after God's own heart. That's what David has described, right? The man after God's own heart. And Jesus makes it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that it's not only the external action of adultery that is sinful before God. It's when you lust after that person in your heart. Right. It's your gifting of adultery, right? By the way, that's why Job said in Job chapter 31 that he had made, Job 31 and verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid, right? You control your eyes, 
make sure your eyes don't go where they don't, because what's that going to affect? Boy, we all know that our visual stimulation, it sure affects our mind and our heart, doesn't it? <laughs> you better control your eyes. And I don't want to let my eyes wander. Why? Because eventually I'm going to think that second thought that I shouldn't think. And then Satan's going to use that and go down the, the uh, spiral of, of lust. And then after you've had that thought of, of lust in your, in your heart, then you're probably going to be enticed to act on it. You see, after, after he's enticed your heart, then he's going to dial up the pressure to entice you to commit an external action. But where's, where's it all stem from? Where's it all stem from? It stems from the heart. Okay? And that's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, you go through the Sermon on the Mount, and he's, he's dealing with um, those uh, Jews that had, only, um, that had only been taught by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said that, that righteousness is solely determined by external actions. Right? It's you standing up and you looking good in the sight of everybody else. That's why they, they fasted and made sure everybody knew that they were fasting. They pray, prayed on the side of the, the street so everybody knew that I was praying. And he says, real discipleship is not about doing external actions so other people will see you. It's about a purity of heart. It's about a purity of heart. And if your heart's pure, the actions will follow. Right? If your heart's pure, the actions will follow. But... If you are enticed in your heart, then eventually some of those sinful actions will unfortunately ultimately follow. And Solomon, in his wisdom, had seen many people enticed by the lust of the strange woman. So what did he do? Being a good godly father, he said, son, I've seen so many people shipwreck their life. It says, can you take fire into your bosom and not be burned? I've seen people burned because they, they thought they could do it. They thought they could take fire in their bosom. And guess what? They got burned. Well, that's what fire does. It burns you, right? I've seen people do that. So, son, you don't follow their mistakes, which is good godly counsel, right? And then Solomon progresses on in his life and becomes an old man. And what does he choose to do at the end of his life? Solomon chooses to follow his heart. <laughs> he didn't guard his heart. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. What did, what did Solomon not do? He didn't guard his heart. What was he enticed by? The exact same strange women that he counseled his son and all of us to avoid and be vigilant not to be enticed by it. Right. The exact same thing that he warned against is exactly what he was enticed by. And it even uses the language when it describes him being turned in 1 Kings chapter 11. It says those strange women turned his heart right. from the Lord. They turned his heart. He didn't guard his heart. And ultimately, he was deceived and they turned his heart. And then we see in Ecclesiastes, he is a miserable old man. Why? Because he followed his heart. Right. <laughs> you read the book of Ecclesiastes. You want to know, you want to know where following your heart as a born-again child of God would? Now, if you follow your heart uh, as an unregenerate person, this message doesn't mean anything to you anyway. 
but you're you're probably I mean a, a hog's pretty happy down in slop, right? But the but the uh, prodigal son ain't supposed to be down there with him. Right. <laughs> the prodigal son was pretty miserable down in the slop. Amen. But the hog was pretty happy down there. Okay. So when you're born again, you can't be happy doing that anymore. Right. Okay. If you want to know the end result of following your heart as a born-again, regenerated child of God, go read the book of Ecclesiastes. And all he did was indulge all the lust of the flesh, all the lust of the eyes, and all the pride of life. And at the end of it, he said, there's nothing good under the sun. It's all vanity and vexation of the spirit. And he's an old, miserable man. I, I guarantee you he died in misery. Yeah. Why? Because he didn't heed, first of all, his own He didn't heed the word of God. Right. He just happened to be the one that would God used to inspire it. You want to talk about discerning uh, the, the intentions and the, and the desires of your heart by the word of God? If Solomon, ignore the fact that he's the one that wrote it, <laughs> it's more ironic that he's the one that wrote it, but it's, it was available to him. All he had to do was open up the Bible. Oh, wait a minute. That looks a lot like what it says in Proverbs chapter 6. <laughs> Maybe I need to go the other way. Maybe I need to not be enticed by them. And that's why he said, and oh, the unfortunate spiritual irony that Solomon said, by the inspiration of the Spirit, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. And boy, wasn't Solomon and the Spirit really hard on fools in the book of Proverbs? Right. And who turned out to be the fool? Solomon. Solomon at the end of his life turned out to be a fool. Right. And it, it couldn't be more, more succinct. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But there is another side of that, though. But whosoever walketh wisely shall be delivered. Wisdom. Wisdom, right? And where does wisdom begin at? The fear of God. How's the only way you get the fear of God? By being born again. Amen. Right? It says if you, if you desire wisdom, let him ask of God, James chapter 1, that the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable. The wisdom that is from above is sensual and devilish. Okay? So don't trust your own heart solely because you will be enticed to sin. Amen. Okay? And, amen, Brother amen. Joe. Think that Disney. Yeah. Amen. I tell you, there's a lot of repenting that needs to happen in, uh, in certainly the boardroom of Walt Disney. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36. So this is the condition of man in our nature with his natural wicked heart. And obviously, you can see again, <laughs> salvation by grace is so easy when you get the first T in the tulip doctrine right. Salvation by grace is so easy when you get total depravity right. Man's dead. His heart's wicked. It's carnal. There's nothing good in there. It doesn't matter how good. This is the distinction that it, that it has in the book of, of uh, Acts of those that are cut to the heart versus those that are pricked in the heart. And that distinction is what we find here in Ezekiel chapter 36 because the only thing that can be pricked is something that's alive, something that is sensitive. So in Ezekiel chapter 36... We find in verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit 
shall I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So, not only is man dead in sins, right, but residing inside of him spiritually is a stony heart. Now again, can you entice a stone to do anything? No. The only way you're going to entice that stone to do anything is if it changes its nature, right? As long as it's a stone, it doesn't matter. You say, stone, will you please accept me? Stone, will you please walk down the aisle and believe on me? It doesn't matter how many times you say that to a stone, right? Because it's dead. It's a stone. But then once it's given life, now all of a sudden it can be pricked in the heart, right? So man has to have heart transplant. There has to be a change of nature, okay? Now, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Once there's a change in the heart, now there's some things that can flow outward in good fruit in our life, right? Once the nature of the tree is changed, it's not an evil tree anymore. It's made a good tree. Now what can a good tree do? Now it can bring forth good fruit, right? And once it's been made um, in the Spirit of God, now it's going to bring forth spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 describes Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? And that's what happens in regeneration. That's what happens in the new birth. That literally, the Son of God, that's how we're born again, John chapter 5, by the voice of the Son of God, everyone he says unto live, they all live. Okay? We are born again by the voice of the Son of God. And now Jesus Christ resides in you, the hope of glory. Jesus changes our nature. He changes our heart. And now we have a heart that can be touched with the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. But when... We are born again. That old heart, that old nature, the old flesh is not totally eradicated. Instead, as long as we are in these natural bodies, we are going to have, as we're going to see here in Romans chapter 7, a warfare and a conflict between this new heart and my old flesh, the old man. God, God's made us a new man in Jesus Christ, but I still have the remnants of the old man. So in Romans chapter 7, he says here, um, we can't really deal with the whole chapter like I'd like to, but, but I, I believe it makes a very good point here in the earlier verses, particularly in verse 7. He says, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for, it had not, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So there was a time where he was living outwardly. He was going through the pretense of living a very good life as a Pharisee. But he wasn't born again. Okay? So he says, The only reason that I knew it was wrong to covet, the only reason I knew that lust was bad was because I read it in Leviticus. The only reason I knew that was because I, I, I know that the law says don't do it. Because I did not have a law written in my heart. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 8, what happens in the new birth. I will write my law in their hearts. He said, I didn't have an internal conviction of sin. I just was told my whole life that I'm not supposed to do this. 
okay? But now there came a time where the law was written in my heart. But previously, the only way he knew something was bad was because somebody told him it was bad. But now God's written his law in, their heart, in his heart. And he says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. All of a sudden I saw how exceedingly sinful I was. I saw how exceedingly wicked my natural heart that I used to be following was. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is to present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, the, uh, <clears throat> This language gets confusing, so let's make sure I read it right. Okay, verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. In other words, I have this new man nature that has no other desire than to glorify God. But then I have this old nature that entices me to do things that I don't want to do in my nature. I have a desire to serve God. I have a desire to love God with all of my heart. What's the greatest commandment? To love God with all of your heart and soul and mind. That's my desire in the inward man, right? But then I have this other nature that keeps bringing me down. So I have a desire to love God perfectly, I have a desire to serve God, but I have this other nature that is in enmity with God and in my heart, in my heart, I delight to do the law of God after the inward man. Now that's a contrast from what he said before, right? He had no desire to do the law of God in his inward man. He, he only knew it through his natural mind and because well, he had been taught that by Pharisees his whole life. But now I have an inward desire to obey the law, the law of God. But then, so I have, I have this natural desire to serve God. But then I see, verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Which, by the way, I just want to skip over real quick. Uh, where, where he says that I feel like that I feel like that in this warfare I'm losing. I feel like that this this uh, sin nature is bringing me into captivity. We need to be reminded at the beginning of the next chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That. The spirit is stronger than the flesh. That's what we need to be reminded of, right? Now, sometimes I feel like it's a losing battle. I feel like that my nature, I feel like my flesh is bringing me into captivity. You know, it says, uh, use that language of captivity in regard to your mind, bringing every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. You got to control your mind. You got to control your heart. And you've got to, as we said before, you have to control what you look at to make sure your heart and your mind don't get corrupted. But the flesh is not stronger than the spirit. Satan is a very dangerous foe. But we always need to be reminded 
that he is not as powerful as Jesus, right? Yes, the flesh is a formidable foe, but it is, we have more than the ability to conquer that flesh and to bring it into captivity through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, I see, I see this, this war, this conflict. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity. I feel like I'm losing that battle. Many days we feel like we're losing that battle. Oh, wretched man that I am. You know, I want to serve God. I want to love God. But instead, all I do is, is fail all day, every day. Oh, wretched man that I am. What hope do I have? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We've been given victory through Jesus Christ. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And we have the ability to bring those thoughts and the, the, the uh, desires of the flesh into captivity. Why? Because Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He has the conquering ability to put down all of the, the struggles that we have in the flesh. So I want to give you a few verses to be thinking about as we hopefully continue this line of thought. Um, Psalm 119 and verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay, it's very important for us to know the word of God and to memorize the word of God so we can have those verses brought to our mind in the midst of temptation. That's what we see with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, right? When he's uh, beating back Satan with the, with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God. 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because there are many prophets that are going out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. But every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. You know, there is a significant division in Christianity today over the divinity of Jesus Christ. Right. And that is not a side casual issue. Amen. Because the Apostle John and the Holy Spirit draws a line in the sand. That if you deny that Jesus is the Son of God and come in the flesh, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Okay? Now, I believe there's some children of God that are probably deceived by that. I'm not saying a child of God can't be deceived by false doctrine. But the line in the sand is, if you deny that Jesus is the Son of God, which, by the way, what's the, what's the uh, requirement for you to be baptized in the Lord's church? To believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the, that is the litmus test. That's the foundation that the whole church was built upon in Matthew chapter 16, right? Upon this rock, I will build my church. On Jesus, primarily on the foundation of the confession that Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Okay? Going back to verse 1, though. Discern the spirits. Test the spirits. Paul, in Acts chapter 16, it says that he... Desired to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit forbid him from doing that. 
Then you desire to go into Asia, but the Spirit suffered him not. You know, we'll probably expound on that more uh, in a little bit later. But he was trying to discern the Spirit. He was trying to discern the Lord, but he was wrong. You know, we can be sincerely wrong. You know that? <laughs> you can be sincere, but boy, you can be sincerely wrong. And I believe Paul was sincere. I mean, he wasn't just saying, I'm going to rebel against God. No, he was sincere in trying to go into Asia and Bithynia. But it turned out the Lord showed him he was just wrong. That's why we discern the spirits. A couple other verses for you to be meditating on, hopefully as we continue this line of thought. Uh, we've already read Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. But then in verse 9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You see, our heart can be directed in a way that's not exactly appropriate. But praise the Lord in his overruling providence. He still directs our steps. <clears throat> and one more. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. We know these verses very well. Very common and popular in Christianity today. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Right? Mm -hmm. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now, obviously, you have to have a new heart. Are you going to trust in the Lord with all your heart in the heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? No. Right? That only applies to those that are born again. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding. That connects to... Proverbs 16 and 9, right? The Lord of man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You see, we can make poor decisions in discerning God's will. But thankfully, God's overruling providence will bless his children when we're approaching it in the right way and truly seeking his will. And in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. One more, very quickly. Psalm 37 and verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Boy, that's a popular verse in Christianity today. Because people want to use the Lord as their name and claim it to give, uh, so they can get whatever they want. Well, guess what? If you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. What's the desire of your heart? The Lord. <laughs> right? Fellowship and communion with the Lord. If you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And the desires of your heart are to follow the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all of your heart. And by the way, isn't that how, isn't it amazing how all this stuff ties together? If you love God with all of your heart, obviously you're going to trust God with all of your heart, right? Uh, and then that's going to take care of all your external actions too, right? Because when your heart is overflowing with the love of God, and with the faith and the trust of God, then obviously the actions of your life are going to exhibit that fruit in your life. So don't trust your heart blindly. Discern it by the Word of God. But there is a special direction and guidance that the Lord does give His children. Think about Elijah, that still small voice. Where was that still small voice at? It was in his heart. It was in his heart. God guides His children by their heart. But if you trust solely... I don't know if you noticed that language there that we read earlier. He that trusteth in his own heart. Right? He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But he that walks wisely shall be blessed.
We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.